Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled Toxic Relationships from our series Toxic Topics. One verse is taken from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs 13 and 20 is going to be our text today. Find your way there. Glad to see you in the Lord's house today. We want to welcome our, our online viewers today, those who are watching us by live stream or on Facebook Live. Thank you for joining us in that way. We're glad you're with us as well. Proverbs 13 and 20, we're concluding our series today called Toxic. Say Toxic. You know, the word toxic in the dictionary is defined as something harmful or malicious. Something that has the effect or acts as a poison. Something that is poisonous. Something that is toxic will harm you. It could debilitate you. It could damage your health. It could even kill you if you're exposed to too much of it. It cause irreparable harm to your body. Well, we've been talking about some toxic things that can come into our lives against which we have to set up a guard or a perimeter. We talked the first week about toxic thoughts. There are things that roll through our minds that are just not healthy. And we're not called by God to just allow those thoughts to have their way. We're commanded in the scripture to take every thought captive, to guard our hearts and minds, to watch out for the things that are floating through our brains, to gird up the loins of our mind, as the writer uh, says in one of the letters. And we talked about that. We have to think about what we're thinking about. Say that with me. Think about what we're thinking about. We have to set up a guard in our minds. Well, then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about toxic influences. Sometimes it's not just thoughts in our minds, but it's influences that we allow from the outside to enter into our lives that we need to put up a guard against. And we talked about some of those things. We talked about alcohol, for one. We spent a lot of time using it as an example. We talked about things like gambling. We talked about overeating. We talked about substance abuse. Talked about lots of different things, influences that we allow into our lives. Media, television, internet, what are we watching, what are we consuming, and what are we feeding our spirits on? It will have an effect on the quality of our walk with God. And we talked about the need for guardrails, for boundary lines, for barriers. We talked about those things, amen, and how that everyone needs guardrails. We used to call them personal convictions, right? We need some things that we've trained our conscience with that say, I will go this far, but I will not go any further in that direction because I don't want to end up crossing the line and getting into the danger zone where I could be damaged as a Christian. Amen? Well, today we're going to end up by talking about toxic relationships. Say relationships. You know, if there is one most important word in the English language, I would argue it's probably the word relationship. Everything stems from this. At the center of the universe, there is one God who is within himself three divine persons in relationship with each other. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the center of the universe, there is a relationship. Right? Everything flows out of that. You and I were made to be part of that relationship. And when God looked at Adam in the garden alone, the first thing that God said was not good was the fact that Adam didn't have another human with whom to be in relationship, right? So God remedied that immediately and brought in the healthy so he would have relationship. And their relationship was 
continue to build and grow. When you look at the church, really what the church is is a network of relationships. It is a body knit together, men and women who love Jesus and love one another, who are connected around that common love and the mission to draw others into God's family. It's all about relationships. Say relationship. But you know, the bad news is relationships can be really good or they can be really bad, right? They can be really uplifting and upbuilding or they can be really harmful and have a negative impact on us. And we have to be careful to guard against the bad side, the negative side, the dark side of relationship. Toxic relationships, and we want to talk about that today. The Bible tells us why they matter, how we can identify them, and what we should do about them. And I want us to look at God's Word today. So as we do, we're going to begin with the prayer we prayed all three weeks. It is found in Psalm 19, verse 14. If you're here on Wednesday night, we close all of our Wednesday night Bible studies with this prayer. Would you pray it with me? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Toxic relationships. Pastor, why are relationships so important? How do relationships impact us? Why do they matter so deeply? And why does God spend so much time in the Bible talking about relationships? Well, let's look at that. Our text today is Proverbs 13 and 20. I want to read it from two versions. Number one, the NIV says it this way. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. The message renders it this way. Eugene Peterson says, become wise by walking with the wise, hang out with fools, and watch your life fall to pieces. That's a pretty good rendering, isn't it? Why do relationships matter? How do they impact us? Well, the bottom line is we become like whatever we hang around. We become like whoever we associate ourselves with. You and I are formed by our friendships. We are formed by our friendships. The Bible tells us if we walk with the wise, we'll become wise. But if we are a companion of fools, we will reap the negative consequences of their foolishness. One of the difficult conversations many of us have had to have with our children before is helping them understand that picking their friends is the most important choice they will ever make in this life. Deciding with whom they will align themselves in friendship, right? We've had those conversations. Open mom or dad, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to participate in the things that others do. You can trust me. But the reality is, and we've explained to our children, when the policeman pulls the car over and your friends have been doing something, he'll never believe you weren't involved in it also, right? You're going to go down with the ship that you're traveling on. That's the way it is. And friendship matters. Relationships matter. We teach this to our children. We know that it is true for their friendships. But it never ceases to be true, no matter how old you get. Do you hear me? We never get to a place where relationships don't have an impact on us. They always do. All of us are influenced by the people who are around us. Whether it's a positive or a negative influence, we become like who we hang around. A wise man once said, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Solomon said the same thing, right? Proverbs 12 and 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. 
Wow. That's God's word. In the New Testament, Paul preaches the same thing. He tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We become like what we hang around. Amen? Sadly, King Solomon didn't follow his own advice. The Bible tells us that it didn't happen to him as a young man. It happened to him when he got older. Say old. You're never so old that your relationships don't matter. You never get so old that it, that it's that you can't slip or you can't lose ground or you can't end up being pulled in the wrong way. You don't outgrow this is what the Bible teaches us. Solomon certainly didn't. The Bible says, for it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And when his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father, David. His heart wasn't loyal. His heart got turned. And it got turned by relationships. He was in relationship with people that didn't know and love God. And before long, they had had a negative impact on him. Right? Uh, we talk about this with our youth all the time. It's easier for you to pull me off the stage than it is for me to pull you up onto the stage. Right? There's a spiritual law of gravity that takes place. We have to be careful with whom we tie ourselves to in friendship and relationship. Well, Pastor, if that really matters so much, how do we spot people that might be damaging for us? How do we identify these toxic people? Well, let's talk about that. There are several that you need to be on the lookout for. Now, we can take the whole morning talking about them, but I want to give you three big categories of toxic people that you need to be watching out for. You need to make sure that you're not too close to one of them, but more importantly, you need to make sure you're not becoming one of them. Amen. The, the danger in a message like this is that we all look around at our neighbor looking for the toxic people, right? And we become like Barney Fife in the choir, walking around looking for the guy singing off key, don't we? <laughs> Do you remember that episode? Yeah. If we're not careful, we become like the guy whose children had wiped Lindberger cheese under his nose. And he woke up that morning and said, man, this room stinks. And he walked into the living room and said, man, this whole house stinks. Then he opened the front door and took a deep breath and said, I tell you what, the whole world stinks. <laughs> but the problem was right under his own nose, wasn't it? Amen? So as we're talking about toxic people, let's start right under our nose before we broaden the circle too largely looking around us for the Lindberger cheese. Amen? Amen. So am I or am I in relationship with someone who fits a category? That's the question. Let's start with ourselves. Number one, the first category of toxic people is this. The critic. Say the critic. People who are always negative, always criticizing, always naysaying something. Some folks are just a negative Nelly all the time. They're always negative. The glass is not only half empty, but it also wasn't washed properly the last time it was put on. My father-in-law used to say about these people, you couldn't please them if you hung them with a new rope. I'm never quite sure what that meant, but it doesn't sound good. They have something negative to say about everything and everybody. Nothing is ever good enough. Listen, nothing ever pleases them. You never measure up. You never meet their approval. If you make a B, an A would have been better. Amen? They can't celebrate 
the silver medal, they're too busy fussing about the fact that you didn't win the gold medal, right? Meanwhile, the guy with the bronze medal just glad he got on the platform at all. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I mean, that's how it is. There's probably not a happier guy up there than the bronze medal. You know that? But really, he's just glad he got included. He made the cut. You always leave their presence feeling drained or depressed or under a dark cloud like somebody threw up on your head. Right? You know what I mean? You've been there. You've felt that way. You always leave their presence drained dry. There's nothing wrong with constructive criticism. We don't need to be surrounded by yes people who always agree with us and tell us how wonderful we are. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 27 and 6. A friend will hurt your feelings sometimes by being honest with you and telling you the truth. Amen? And that's okay. We need people who love us enough to be honest with us, right? You need some friends who will tell you your breath stinks. You need a mint. Amen? <laughs> Everyone needs somebody like that. Everybody needs a friend who will lovingly say, I love you, but that dress needs to go in the donate pile, right? I mean, we, we all need a friend or two who will just say, who's your barber? Yeah, don't go back there ever again. <laughs> we, we, sometimes we just need some help. Sometimes you just need one friend. I want to tell you people who have no friends, they are the contestants on America's Got Talent, right? The voice, those kinds of places, right? Yeah. Uh, you remember that? Uh, don't you love the auditions at the very beginning, right? You wonder, how did these people get on national television? You need to tell me you didn't have one friend in this world who would pull you aside and say, you are a great person, but you couldn't carry a tin and a bucket with two hands. I'm serious. I mean, you wonder. How did your friends let you go on there and do that to yourself, right? Sometimes you need a friend. Say a friend. And a friend will sometimes hurt you in order to help you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Anybody who just fill your head with lies and pat you on the back and tell you things are okay when they're not okay, the Bible calls that person an enemy, not a friend, okay? So not everyone who says something critical falls in the category that I'm talking about today. That's what I want you to see. There is such a thing as constructive criticism, and we need it, and there is a place for it, even in the body of Christ, even in our friendships. But the key word is constructive, right? Construct means to build up. A constructive criticism is when someone points out something and they offer a helpful suggestion. And you know that the motive behind it is not just criticism, but it is a genuine love for you and a desire to see you do better because they want you to win and they want you to succeed. We need people like that in our lives. But all of us have met those few people who sometimes get into our orbit who are just negative all the time. They never have anything good to say. There's never any praise. There's never any compliment. There's never anything that we feel like we get right. We always leave their company feeling like we just don't ever measure up to the standard. We all have bumped into them. People who are chronically negative and hypercritical all the time. They're a rain cloud, and you feel so to your socks every time you leave their company, right? Amen. Well, that's one group, the critics. Say the critic. Another group you have to watch out for is the controller. The controller. There are some people who want to criticize. There are other people who want to control.
control you. They will not honor the fact that you are an adult and that you are able to make some decisions on your own and that you have that kind of autonomy. They won't go with that and they want to control you. And there are two ways they do that. Number one is a guy I call Brother Dominator. He likes to dominate. He's large and in charge and he's the one who always wants to run the show. We would call him a bully, right? You met him first on the playground in elementary school. You may have bumped into him again on your first job. You may have encountered him as your son's baseball coach later down the road, amen? If you're really lucky, you'll bump into him in a church board meeting once in a while, right? Brother Dominator just wants to run the show. Always has to be the one who gets his way. You know, the problem with this is the only way this person knows to do anything is just to bulldoze and to plow their way through. My daddy was a carpenter by trade, and he used to have a statement that went like this. If your only tool is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Amen? And what happens when you get around a bully is they're constantly hammering everything and everybody because that's their only tool. It's the only way they know how to get anything done. And when your only tool is a hammer, everybody looks like a nail. And they just get hammered all the time. We've all been around people who all they do is hammer on other folks. And that's how they forward their agenda and attempt to get things done. This is not okay because they resort to anger and rage when they're cross and they get violent and they get angry and they push their agenda regardless of who gets hurt. They are used to getting their own way. And when you tell them no, they get very angry and belligerent. The Bible warns us about this category of person. Proverbs 22 and 24 says, Make no friendship with an angry man. Say that with me. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man, do not go. Pastor, you're just making this up and you're preaching psychology. I'm preaching the book of Proverbs, the 22nd chapter this morning. I'm telling you, this is in the book. God warns us about our relationships. God tells us there are some people we need to limit our interaction with. And some of us today, we would have more peace and more joy and more energy to get things done in our lives if we would limit our contact with some people that are draining our batteries all the time. Amen? Amen? And God's Word says, do not make a friendship with a bully or a hothead or an angry person. Do not go in the way of a furious man. God warns us, don't get entangled in relationship or friendship with people like that. They will do great damage to you, amen? Ecclesiastes 7 and 9. Not only should we not be friends with these people, we should not become these people. We shouldn't become a bully. Why? The Bible tells us, Ecclesiastes 7 and 9, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. I wish somebody put that on a pillow for me. <laughs> for anger resides in the lap of fools. You find a man who's constantly blowing his stack? Amen. If you look right here on his pants, it says F-O-O-N. In the lap of a fool. That's where anger sits. Amen. Pastor, did you say that? Solomon said that. Amen. Lord help us. It's quiet and holy in this church. That means I'm preaching. <laughs> Brother, Dom Brother Dominator. He's the controller. But then you've got another one that you have to watch out for. And her name is to 
Matthew 10, 16, Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I'm sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents, but harmless or innocent as doves. Jesus says, I'm warning you, you're living in a dangerous world, and you've got to be guarded and careful and smart. You've got to be wise. You have to watch out because there is real danger in the people that you will encounter. Who are these wolves? Well, some of them are open, ravenous wolves. Paul talked about ravenous wolves that come after the flock. But sometimes they're wolves in sheep's clothing, right? They pretend to not be. They pretend to be something good and wholesome, but they prove to be otherwise. Instead of bullying, they seek to control in more subtle ways. What do you mean? Well, let me give you an example. One would be the victim. Say the victim. Some people are always in crisis mode, and it's always somebody else's fault. They were in crisis when you met them, and there will be crisis on the last day that you spend with them. Because there are some people for whom this is just a way of life for them. They're always in crisis. And it's the way they survive is by being in crisis. They're always, and they'll, they'll say things like, nobody cares about me. Nobody wants to help me. And when you begin to unpack the wagon and talk about why are you here and how, why have you been stuck here, it's always someone else's fault why they are the way they are or where they are. The victim. And if we're not careful, instead of helping, we just end up permanently enabling people to stay in their brokenness. And that's not okay. Now, there are people that need our help, and we should help. But we have to be wise enough to discern, is this a true need, or am I just propping up a situation that's never going to remedy itself? Because the person isn't willing to remedy it for themselves. Amen? The victim. Number two, the holier than that. Some people manipulate us by always claiming the higher moral ground. You ever been around people like that? You just never feel like you measure up to their standard of what is holy or right or good. They're always up here and you're always down here. And it seems like no matter how hard you try, you never get on equal ground with them when it comes to things. The holier than thou. They seek to intimidate you by coming across as better than you. They are skilled in the art of one-upmanship. They often load people down with false guilt. They twist the Bible and make people feel guilty in order to get them to give in to their demands and do what they want to do. When in the reality, they're not worried about the Bible. They're not worried about you getting better. They're just worried about getting their way. And they found a clever tactic that gets them what they want in life. And it is by always being holier than everyone else around them. Tom Rainer ran into a person like this one time in his pastorate. He's a great researcher for LifeWay and a great pastor. And he talks about his story. He said, I came in one day as the interim pastor of a church. And, you know, they were split down the middle. And, and they were calling a, a new staff person, a new pastor. And things were going well. And he was trying to help the transition go. And the pastor made one decision that someone didn't agree with. And the next thing you know, there's a big big brouhaha over it. And one lady comes up and tells the pastor, well, pastor, he needs to go. I said, no, he doesn't need to go. He says, well, Tom Rainer, yes, he does. You need to help us get rid of this guy. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. He said, why? She said, it's my understanding that the pastor serves at the pleasure of the congregation. And he, she said, well, I understand that's your understanding, but it is a misunderstanding. And the misunderstanding is yours, not his. Because the pastor serves at the pleasure of Jesus. And at the end of the day, his responsibility is to please Jesus who called him 
For that is to whom he will give an account for his ministry. And his job is not to make you happy, but it's to make you holy so that when you stand before God, you're prepared for the appointment. Amen. You see, oftentimes we can get things backwards and someone will try to manipulate and get their way by covert means. The victim, the holier than thou. Then there is the sucker. person who's always kissing up. They're just always trying to flatter you, always trying to get in your good graces, not because they really think you're all back a bag of chips, but because they want something from you, right? And they flatter and curry favor in order to be able to get in your good graces so that you will come back and give them what they want. Then you've got the gossip. Say the gossip. They know that knowledge is power, and they know everything about everybody. And they use that knowledge to divide and conquer. They use that. They use their knowledge to sway your opinion about someone or to poison your thinking about someone. They exaggerate what was said or they leave out some details in order to play the story in favor of their position. They want to promote their agenda. They play both sides against the middle. They divide and conquer. They talk to you about him and they talk to him about you. And then they stand back and watch the fireworks happen. And then they get their agenda pushed through. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. If you find someone and they are always embroiled in some kind of conflict, if you identify someone who is always stirring the pot of controversy, the Bible says that is a perverse person. They're perverted. Their spirit is polluted. There's something not right about that person. It's a warning flag. It's a danger sign to you. Do not get connected in relationship very closely to them or you will end up harming yourself by getting involved with them. Then there is the power. Say the power. This is the person who turns on the waterworks and manipulates by means of their tears. They may become passive aggressive and give you the silent treatment and the cold shoulder, right? Wives, some of you know what I'm talking about. There are days if you open up your mouth, a little light will pop on like it does in the refrigerator, right? Don't laugh too hard, guys. Some of you are bigger powders than they are. Sell up like a possum. Get in your truck and drive them off. Mm -hmm. Come back hours later. Oh, but she forgot. She hadn't forgot. I guarantee you one thing. She hadn't forgot. What is it? It's a form of controlling. We're trying to control somebody rather than do the honest thing, and that is just lay the cards on the table, let the chips fall where they may, and let's make a good decision as grown-ups, as adults, who mutually respect one another, right? That's the right way to handle anything. Be honest. Be open. Lay the honest truth on the table. Let's look at it in the full light of day. Let's pray and let's let God lead us in the way that we should go. And this is true whether it's a church meeting or whether it's a meeting around your dining table with your spouse or whether it's you meeting with your adult children or whether it's the way you run your business. Amen? We are called to be different. So you've got, you've got these people, right? These toxic people in our lives. Well, let me give you, you've got the critic and the controller and thirdly, you've got the corrupter. Say the corrupter. 
This is the person who always pulls you into sin. The person who tempts you to do what you ought not to do. And all of us, if we're honest, know we've got people like this in our lives. There are some people who are just bad influences on us. We know it. When we leave them, we sense something different about us. We've noticed that we've talked about things we didn't normally talk about. We noticed that we've used language we normally wouldn't use, but they did, so we began doing it. We found ourselves dwelling on topics that we wouldn't normally dwell on, thinking about things and talking about things that we should not. Sometimes it goes further, and we end up going places we should not go with these people, or engaging in behaviors that we should not engage in with these people, because their influence over us is greater than our influence over them. The relationship is lopsided, and they pull us, and they tend to take us the wrong direction. They tempt us. They're like Eve. Not only did they bite into the forbidden fruit, they hand it to the one next to them and say, here, you take a bite too, right? Amen. There are people like that. They're not happy until you join them in their sin. Amen. Not only do they want to do it, they want to make sure you do it also. Those people are not your friends. When you're around them, you cross boundaries that you set up. You violate your own convictions. You even end up breaking God's commands. Amen? The corrupter. Say the corrupter. Well, how do we deal with these people, Pastor? We spot them. What do we do about them? Well, it all centers around one word, and that word is boundaries. Boundaries. We set up a boundary between ourselves and these other people that could threaten to do us harm. Whether the critic, the controller, or the corrupter, we have to put a boundary in place. There's a great little book written by Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. John Townsend called Boundaries. And if you've never read it and you're having any kind of relational issue, that'd be the first book outside the Bible you ought to read. It's a great little book. Boundaries. Say boundaries. What is a boundary? It's the line that we put between ourselves and someone else. Now, boundaries aren't walls. We're not building walls between us and others. But it is a line of demarcation that says, that's you and this is me. That is your space and this is my space. How many of you need one of these running down the middle of your bed at night? Amen. Amen. You wake up and they're just all out of their space, right? Some of you know what I mean. Some of you like boundaries on your plate. You don't want your peas touching your beans, right? You like boundaries. We like boundaries. Amen. What is a boundary? Well, this is the idea. It comes from two verses in Galatians 6. Galatians 6 tells us this. He says there's two commands we have to obey. Number one, carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So whose burden am I to carry? Someone else's, right? Well, but back in verse 5, Paul says this. For each one should carry his own burden. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Don't those two verses contradict one another? On the surface, yes. But when you dig into the words, no, they do not. The word for burden is the same in English here, but in the Greek it is not the same word, and it does not have the same meaning. Let's unpack it. The word in verse 5, the last verse we read there, each of you should carry his own burden, refers to the pack that a soldier carries. It is his supplies. It's the load that every soldier is supposed to carry for himself, right? Now, if you don't believe me, you can ask anybody in this room that has ever served in the U.S. military. Every soldier carries his own pack, right? You carry your pack. You only carry somebody else's pack if they're wounded or injured. 
And it's not a permanent assignment, right? It's just until you can get them back and get them some help. But every one of us has a load of responsibility that we are intended to carry by ourselves and for ourselves. There are things that you are responsible for in your life that no one else is responsible for. You are to carry your own load. You're to tote your own weight. Grandma said every tub's got to set on its own bottom. Amen. We've got to carry our own weight in life. And this is true. Paul writes to the Thessalonians about some people who were not working. And they were bumming off on the others who were working hard. And Paul says, if a man does not work, let him also not eat. Right? Now, that's not a universal rule because there were widows and orphans and disabled people that the church fed every single day. Who was Paul writing to? He was writing to people who could do better and wouldn't do better. See the difference? He's writing to people and saying, we will not enable you to, to, to stay dependent when you don't have to be dependent. Right? That's the word. Well, what is the word down in verse 22? Carry one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. The word here is the word for a crushing load. It's like a boulder. It's a weight that would absolutely break down one person if they were required to carry it alone. We are to carry one another's boulders. Sometimes in life, something happens to us. We are overwhelmed. A crisis hits. A tragedy strikes. It may be sickness. It may be a death of a loved one. It may be a sudden, unexpected financial setback that hits a family. And in those moments, what are we to do? We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to get up under the crippling load that our brother and sister is carrying, and we are to help them carry that load, right? We are to bear the burden. We are to share the crushing load so they are not destroyed by the struggle that they find themselves in. Like a giant boulder that's too heavy for one to carry, Christians ought to step up and provide relief to get them through the storm. But relief is temporary. Say it's temporary. We are not called to take them to raise. We're called to take them out of the rain, right? We're to give them some relief until we can get them launched back on their feet again. I have responsibilities to you, but I am not responsible for you, at least not ultimately. That's the line there, amen? Well, how does it work? Well, you establish a boundary. What do you mean, establish a boundary? Well, with the critic, it may be a boundary in your mind that says, you know what? I know this person is negative. I know that no, nothing ever pleases them. They're never happy. And so I'm not going to be any different around them. They're not, I'm not going to be able to make them happy. And I know that going in. So I'm going to take everything they say with a grain of salt. And I'm not going to let what they say to me carry too much weight in my mind. Because they just are the way they are. And I'm not going to be the one to change them. And so whenever they load me down with their criticism, I'm just going to smile and say, well, I appreciate the input on that. I'll take it under advisement. And then I'm going to walk out and I'm going to forget everything that they say. Did you hear me? Amen. I, I watched a family in Durant, Mississippi who had been to every church in Durant and Lexington and Chula and Pickens. And they landed in Emmanuel one Sunday and they stayed about four weeks and I thought, you know, we're finally going to get there. And we had a great Sunday morning where the Spirit of the Lord came. And we had a great altar service. And I was on cloud nine. And that family met me at the door. And they said, Pastor, we want you to know we're going to be visiting another church next week. <laughs> and my feathers just fell. And a dear friend of mine 
She was a minister. Her name is Dr. Katie Tinker. She's visited here before. My African-American sister. She sat with me and Shay right here on the front row. She comes to see me about once a year. She'll be back in a few weeks probably. She saw my countenance fall. And she stepped in and grabbed me and she spun me around and she said, why did you let that affect you in that way? What do you mean? I said, I, they're, they're leaving. I thought surely they would stay. And she said, they've been to every church in this county. You didn't do this to them and you can't fix this for them. Let it go. And she was right. And I did. Amen. And you know what? They're still floating around out there somewhere. <laughs> I don't know which church they'll go to heaven from, but I know it won't be mine. Amen. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to draw a line. Charles Spurgeon had a man one day that met him on the street. The Reverend Mr. Spurgeon, a great humbug, he said. Charles Spurgeon smiled and said, you know what? I'm thankful for the compliment. I'm just glad to hear I'm a great anything. <laughs> what was that? It was a boundary. He drew a line. He didn't care what his critics said about him. He refused to let that man, who did not even really know him, bear weight in how he viewed himself. Amen. We all do that. If the person is verbally critical of you, you may need to declare your boundary out loud to them. What do you mean? Say to them, Pastor. Say to them, look at them and say, listen, I appreciate your concern, but honestly, your comments have crossed helpful to being hurtful and unkind. You're being overly harsh with me. Should we change the subject? Uh, talk about something else, or do I just need to go for it? What is that? That's a boundary. That's all. That's why you should do it. Because you realize the awkwardness, and they haven't. And they need to feel the awkward. Amen? And sometimes you've got to let them feel the awkward. Say, feel the awkward. Some people don't sense that. They, they just kind of miss the cue that they cross that line. And you have to gently remind them that we're at a boundary, and I'm not going to let you keep violating that boundary. If you're dealing with a controller, a bully who wants to bulldoze over you all the time and get their own way, draw the line and say, you know what, I value our relationship, but respect goes both ways. And you're not going to speak to me like that. Have I made myself clear? You mean say that? Say it. You think it. You go home and wear your family out about how they treated you. Stop going home and dumping on your family because somebody was mean to you at work. Amen. There's an appendage down the center of this part of your body called the backbone. Grow one, walk in there, and put your finger in their nose and say, you're not going to talk to me like that anymore. Sometimes it's someone trying to guilt you into doing something that you should not do. Pawn their responsibility off of you. Draw the line. I love you and I want what is best for you. But doing what you're asking me to do would be enabling you to remain irresponsible. And in the long run, that's hurting you, not helping you. So while I love you, I'm not going to be able to do what you're asking me to do this time around. Or do you understand? What is that? It's a boundary. To the corrupter, the one pulling you into sin. I value our friendship, but I'm not going there with you. I'm not engaging in that activity with you. You're free to do whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to do that. And if you really love me and I'm really a friend to you, then you will not ask me or invite me to go do that again. Right? What is that? A boundary. Say a boundary. Listen, guys, we've got to draw our own boundaries and we've got to enforce those boundaries. This is what it means to be an adult. 
This is what it means to be mature. We step up and we do that. Amen? This is how we, we, we do it. We, we do this. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6.14 says. We don't allow this to happen. Don't ever get in a partnership in business or a marriage with someone who's not a committed Christian. Amen? Don't go there. Now, when you draw a boundary, you'll get kicked back and you have to enforce your boundary. What do you mean, Pastor? You'll have to remind them of the boundary. Now, wait a minute, preacher. Didn't the Bible say we ought to turn the other cheek? I mean, where does turning the other cheek come in to play here? All right, I'm glad you asked that. Let me explain that since you asked it. I know some of you are thinking, what about turn the other cheek? He said turn the other cheek. He didn't say lay down on the floor and be a woman. Okay? Turn the other cheek means I'm not going to respond to you in kind. Just because you were angry and vile and belligerent with me, doesn't, I'm not going to throw that back at you. I'm not going to raise my voice just because you raised your voice. I'm not going to call you ugly names just because you called me ugly names. I'm going to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to throw that back at you. That does not mean I'm going to stand here and let you continually browbeat me. You can't turn a cheek that you don't know you have. Some people become such a doormat, they don't even have the identity that this is me and that's you and there are lines that you're not allowed to cross because that becomes abusive. Amen. Lord help us. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to escalate. I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm not going to yell back in anger and cuss at those who cuss at me. I'm not going to respond with that violence, with more violence. But I'm not going to be a doormat. What do you have to do? Sometimes you have to draw the line. You may have to speak to their supervisor. You may have to take it up the food chain. You may have to limit or reduce the time you spend with this person. Eventually, you may have to end the relationship. Hear me? There are times when relationships get so toxic that we have to end them. Right? That should be a last resort, and it should happen very rarely. Let me give you another disclaimer. I'm not talking about going home and ending your marriage today. If your marriage is toxic, that's a joint relationship. And the reality is you probably both polluted the water. Okay? What do you do? You need to go get some help. You need to go pull someone else in with you. You need to go see a counselor. You need to get a good pastor. You need to get an older couple who've been through rough times in their marriage and made it work. You need to sit down with someone who can help you navigate this. And you need to get your marriage healed and whole. There are covenant relationships that we don't just break and walk away from. Marriage, I believe, is one of those. And if it ever does come to a place where it must end, it will be after you've sought the good, solid counsel of some people over you in the Lord, and they agree with you and say, you know what, as hard as it is, I do believe biblically you have grounds now to withdraw from this. Are there ever biblical reasons to pull away from like that? Yes, there are. That's a sermon for another day. We can talk about that. You don't have to stay locked in somewhere. If some man is beating your brains out, leave and tell him your pastor told you to. Hear me? Well, he won't like that. Well, I'm at 5508 Moffat Road, Monday through Thursday from 9 to 430. Amen? I'll explain it to him. Don't come see him. We don't live like this. And you don't have to live in this. Amen? Someone is stepping out on you in a sexual sin all the time. You don't have to stay in that. There is, the Bible gives us instruction about that. We don't stay in toxicity like that. But if you're talking about some of these behaviors I mentioned and you're married to someone who's exhibiting them, this is not the first step. The first step is back up. Let's get some help. Let's drag it into the light. Let's not keep it behind closed doors. Let's bring a pastor in. Let's bring a counselor in. Let's bring somebody in who can help us. 
and let's get to the bottom of this and let's see if we can't heal the toxic relationship here. Sometimes it's with our adult children. We should be very slow to cut off a relationship with our adult children. I didn't say you couldn't put boundaries in place. You can put strong boundaries in place. You can enforce those boundaries. But parents, let me say this to you. That is a covenant relationship. And you should, while enforcing your boundaries, always leave the door open that says, if at any point in the future you are willing and ready to respect us and honor the boundaries that we've set, you are always welcome to come back and re-enter into our lives again. You hear me? You don't burn that bridge permanently. The same with your adult parents. That is a covenant relationship. The Bible says if a man won't care for his own household, speaking in context of his parents, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Just because daddy's hard to deal with don't mean you can shove him off in the nursing home and forget about it. We have responsibilities for people in whom we are in covenant. We can't just abandon them out there somewhere. We have to make sure they are cared for to the best of our ability. And we set boundaries to protect ourselves, yes. But we also obey God and fulfill those responsibilities. Listen, I'm talking about not our covenant relationships. I'm talking about our other relationships today. It may be a co-worker and you need to ask to be reassigned to a different crew, transferred to another department. You may have to find another job in order to get out of a toxic environment. There is a time to do that. Pastor, you mean I don't have to go find another job? My mama told the boss one time I was looking for a job when I found this one. Amen. You're not a tree. You can move. <laughs> Glory to God. I mean, you are not stuck. You can get up and go do something different. You can. You may have to find a new coach for your kids. You may have to decline the next invitation to a party. You may have to find a new family to go on vacation with. Stay away from a fool, Proverbs 14 and 7. Stay away from a fool, for you will not find folly knowledge on their lips. What happens when you find someone who's just toxic, and they're not going to change, and they're doing damage to your life? What does the Bible say do? What's the first two words? Say it like you're ready. Stay away. Believe it or not, being a Christian doesn't mean you have to just be nice to everybody all the time. Well, I'm going to get letters this week. I can feel it. <laughs> The Bible says there are some people you ought to stay away from. <coughs> Amen. Well, a Christian won't do that. A Christian will. Stay away. Does the New Testament say that, Pastor? That's in the Old Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. In the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. What do we do with people like that? Avoid such people. Stay away. There was a man named Joseph who walked in one day on his job, and the boss's wife started putting the moves on him. What did he do? The Bible says in Genesis 39, verse 12, she said, come to bed with me. And the Bible says, but he left his coat in her hand and ran out of the house. He didn't just run out of the house. He ran out of his coat. <laughs> there are some people, the best thing you can do is get away from them just as far as you can, as fast as you can, and go just as far as you can. 
Listen to me today. This should be a last resort. But there are times when the Holy Spirit will lead us, if we're wise, to say, I've done everything I can to try to heal this relationship. I've done everything I can to try to mend the fence, to deal with the brokenness. And it just remains toxic. It just remains unbearable. And it's doing harm to both of us and no good is coming from it. There are times when a limb gets so diseased, the doctor has no, no choice but to amputate the limb. And it's either lose the limb or lose your life. And I want to tell you, there are times, difficult moments in life, where we have to look at a relationship and say, that relationship is costing me too much. Amen. Amen. There are people we must stay away from. There are people the Bible says we are to avoid. There are people that we are to exclude from the circle of our friendship. And that is not, oh, that's not being nice. No, it's not being nice, but it is being Christian. Because the reality is this. Nobody has the right to turn your life into a nightmare. Did you hear me? Nobody has the right to turn your life into a nightmare. The Bible says we were called to peace. We were called to peace. We were called to be at peace and live at peace. And as much as it depends on us, we live at peace with all men. And sometimes it gets to the point where the only way I can live at peace with you is for you to stay away from me and me to stay away from you. Amen? And if it gets there, then it gets there. Some of us today have carried a false load of guilt for half our life because we thought Christianity meant we had to be a doormat to somebody. Establish you some boundaries, enforce your boundaries, and put the ball back in their court. Well, I don't want to break relationship with them. If you instead, if you enforce your boundaries, don't worry, they'll break relationship with you. About the third time you walk out on their yelling, they'll either quit or they'll move on to somebody else. Stand with me all over God's eyes. I hope you don't interpret what I'm saying today as that we should be arrogant and prideful and never listen to what anyone else says. I'm not saying that at all. Most of us know ourselves well enough to know we've all got some work to do in our hearts. George Whitfield, the great New England evangelist, received a letter in the mail one day by a vicious enemy accusing him of wrongdoing. He knew he was not guilty of what he'd been accused of. He wrote back these few lines. I thank you heartily for your letter. As for what you and other enemies are saying against me, I know far, far worse things about myself than you will ever say about me. With love in Christ, George Whitfield. Right? There are times we just have to let it roll on and get a tough exterior without getting a hard interior. What do you mean? You can have a tough eye and a soft heart. That's what a Christian is called having. We don't get hard-hearted. We don't get bitter. But we have to make decisions about how much we let other people's opinions of us affect us. But they're being so harsh. Let me say this to you in all love. It doesn't matter how harsh they're being to you. You are the only one at the end of the day who can make up your mind how far you let their opinion and their words impact you. <clears throat> it's not going to stop raining their heart. You might want to invest in an umbrella. And there are times you have to choose to put up your umbrella. Do you hear me? There are times wisdom requires us to draw some boundaries and put some distance and have some awkward conversations. 
What you might find to your surprise is that often if you will do this, oftentimes it doesn't end the relationship. You know what it does a lot of the time? It fixes it. It mends it. It restores it. It brings you to a place of wholeness and healing where the relationship can actually continue on the right foot and can go forward and become healthy and whole again. But you know what? We have this thing in the South where we don't address anything. We fight with one another and then we walk back in the room the next day and we just act like nothing ever happened. We just both agree to go back to being nice again. What's wrong with that? That's the way we do things in the South. What's wrong is nothing ever gets dealt with. Nothing ever gets addressed. Nothing ever gets fixed. Because we won't address it or deal with it. Sweep under the rug. And eventually there's a hump under the rug. That right? And it becomes the elephant in the living room. And all of a sudden it bleeds over. And it gets so toxic that the relationship fractures. Why? Because we didn't unload the wagon all along the journey. Because we didn't deal with stuff as the stuff was happening to us. I want to tell you today, I'm not giving an altar call for you to come down and cry today. I'm giving a homework assignment. Two things. Number one, am I a toxic person? Remember we said we were going to start right under our nose with the Limburger cheese that we've all got right here. Is there some area of your life where the Holy Spirit has bumped you today and said, you know what, that sounds a lot like you. Are you controlling? Are you overly critical? Are you manipulating someone to get your way instead of honestly having the conversation? about it and letting adults do adult things, make a good decision. Do you need to address that in your own heart? Maybe today you're here and you're in one of these relationships and you've just put up with it and put up with it and put up with it. I want to challenge you today before God as a, as a mature adult Christian, what are you going to do to go draw some boundaries in your own life? What are you going to do to go confront if this person is sinning against you, the answer is not simply turn the other cheek. The answer is, if your brother's has sinned against you, what are you supposed to do? Go to him. What is that? It's a boundary. You go sit down and say, you put your finger in my banana pudding and I don't like it. You address it. Who said that? Jesus did. Jesus did. I feel the kick. I feel the pushback in the room. There's some of you convinced I'm telling you to do something that is not Christian today. You've got to understand there's a difference between being nice and being saved. And sometimes it doesn't start with nice. Sometimes it starts with honest love that addresses the situation and calls the space faith and says, Dear heart, I love you, but here's the reality of where we are, and we need to talk about it so we can fix it. What relationships do you need to address this week? Oh, I shudder to say that. I cannot imagine the counseling calls I'm going to get after this week. Some of us need to leave this place today with the determination, I will not come back next Sunday without having made a phone call, sat down over coffee with somebody, written a letter, or done something to communicate my heart with someone else in order to bring some healing to the brokenness in our relationship. Dear heart, is it hard? Oh, you better believe it's hard. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do. But you know what? We're Christians. We're mature. We love God. We love one another. And if we love one another, we'll love one another enough to engage in this 
level and say, I need to talk to you about some things that are damaging and harming our relationship. Are you here? Every head bowed just a moment before we dismiss in prayer today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, it is me, it is me, it is me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm in this room and I've identified today there's some tendencies in me, there's some things that I do, there's some things that I do in relationship with others that I know is causing harm and damage. The Holy Spirit has spoken to me. Pastor, will you pray for me today? Just being honest with the Lord. Say, that's me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, just being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe some of you in the room today and you're saying, Pastor, I am in a relationship and you know what? I've just kind of kicked it down the road and pacified, placated, and, and, and pretended it was okay. And, but there's some real brokenness in my life. And if I'm honest, it causes me anxiety. It's robbing me of my peace. It's stealing my joy. It's doing damage to my own heart. And what I need to do more than anything is take the initiative to address this thing in my life. And to sit down and have an honest-to-God conversation with this other person who's damaging me. And I want you to pray for me that I'll have the courage this week to step up and address the issue. Are you here today? Just being honest with the Lord. Ask and pray for me. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Let's pray. Father, I know this has not been a shouting from the aisles message. But Lord, I believe with all my heart it's the one you gave me for this morning. And I believe with all my heart, Lord, that there are some of us in this room who the most spiritual thing we can do is not come and cry at an altar, but it's to leave this room and do the hard work that Christians are called to do of making peace. Lord, we're not peacekeepers, but we are peacemakers. And you said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Lord, I pray today we will prove ourselves your sons and daughters by leaving this place and going and doing hard work on our relationships so that there can be peace and wholeness and flourishing in our marriage, in our relationship with our children, with our parents, with our co-workers, with our friends, with our fellow church members. Lord, let us find wholeness in our relationships. Let us work hard to achieve that. And Lord, may you guide us and lead us by your wisdom as we do it. Show us the truth about ourselves. And as you do, we repent. We're honest with you today, Lord. We won't hide what you show us about ourselves. Lord, maybe you showed us in the preaching of the word. Maybe today you'll show us in a, in a confrontation with another friend this week who will honestly look at us and say, I want to talk to you about something. Lord, may we be open to your spirit to address ourselves. And may we have the courage to address some others this week. As we need to, in Jesus' name, God's people say, Amen. Would you give the Lord a hand of praise? Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.